Hello. Hey, is this Chris? This is Chris. How are you hey, doing? Hey, it's David. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I just tried to call you, and uh, for some reason, it was not going through. Yeah, I, that's my fault. I, Hi, everybody. Uh, I this is T.C. Rollins. Uh, you probably know me best as playing the role of Chris W. on the Dirty Talk podcast. If you've listened to our Christmas episode from last month, you are no doubt aware that it was all about Christ's circumcision on the eighth day following his birth and the amazing story of his holy foreskin throughout history. A little while ago, I was lucky enough to get this gentleman on the phone. Hello, my name is David Farley. I'm a freelance food and travel writer. I write for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, BBC, The Guardian, Savour Magazine, among others. I've also written a couple books. One is called Underground World, as the name suggests, literal underground places on Earth, and the other one is called An Irreverent Curiosity in Search of the Strangest Relic in Italy's Oddest Town, which was made into a documentary by the National Geographic Channel a couple of years ago. Specifically, the oddest relic part in the subtitle is Jesus' foreskin. This man literally wrote the book on Jesus' foreskin. In English, there, you know, the only other book-length project on the Holy Foreskin, as it's called, is in German. It was published in the early 20th century, but that's about it. So my book in English is it. He even convinced the Vatican to let him into their archives to research the history of this bizarre religious relic. Yeah, they actually let me in. Can you believe it? Well, I mean, it helps that I was um, a writing professor at NYU, and the one kind of main requirement to get into the Vatican Library for research purposes is that you have to be associated with an accredited university. So I had my director write uh, a brief letter on NYU letterhead that said, I am in fact a professor at NYU. And you know, I had this whole story concocted in Italian about why I was there, because it's kind of a bit verboten to mention the Holy Foreskin at the Vatican. So I had this whole story about I was researching, I'm living in this village called Calcutta, and I'm doing research on it, which is the truth. They didn't even ask me any questions. They just showed them the letter. And before I could give them my spiel, I popped my actual laminated Vatican Library card. And they said, thank you very much. And that was it. It was, it was pretty easy. He did this all with the threat of excommunication from the Catholic Church hanging over his head. One of the agreements that you sign when you get a Vatican Library card is you have to send them the product of whatever research you did there. And I, I never sent them a copy of my book. I should have. I mean, I wasn't afraid to. You know, that in the year 1900, Pope Leo XIII apparently made this decree that said, anyone who writes about or speaks of the Holy Foreskin shall face excommunication. And I was raised Catholic, even though I'm not Catholic or Christian anymore. And I kind of liked the idea of sending that to them and possibly getting excommunicated. Do you think they would send you an official letter in the mail saying you are now excommunicated from the church now and forever? Yeah, they, I guess they would have done that. They certainly wouldn't have, like, you know, emailed me or texted me or sent me a DM through Instagram because the Vatican still works in very archaic ways. It would have been a letter <laughs> hand-delivered by some envoy of the Vatican itself. Hopefully it's some sort of vellum scroll. Right. In truth, the Vatican doesn't excommunicate very many people these days, so I doubt they would have really done much if they got their hands on my book. I think these days they need everyone they can. Exactly. Yeah, and I don't think they want to breathe life into this subject that sort of they helped make disappear over a century ago. 
So if you're interested in learning all about the backstory of this miraculous piece of Christian history, from the world's foremost expert on it, I invite you to eavesdrop in on our following telephone conversation. So I was wondering how you first heard about the Holy Prepuce. You know, as an undergrad, I studied history, both for my graduate school and undergrad. And as an undergrad, I really focused on church history. I've always been fascinated by it. It didn't come up then, but relics came up. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting that people were venerating relics of saints and so on. And the Holy Prepus, or foreskin, first came up when I was living in Rome in 2002 for a few months. And I, as one does when you're in Rome, I took a day trip to this village called Calcutta, about 40 miles north of Rome, because the village was in the process of being abandoned in the 60s. And lots of like hippies, an international group of hippies, but mostly Italian, discovered the village and they bought the houses for really cheap and they fixed up the village, village and so on. And today it's this amazing, amazing, beautiful medieval hill town that with one entrance, it's not big enough for cars. So it's completely pedestrian. And it's filled with just these aging hippies and artists and there's art galleries and great restaurants. And it's amazing. So I went there on a day trip and I met some locals. And, you know, that's when I think they told me that the village is not just famous for its aging hippies and artists, but that there was this very unusual relic there for four and a half centuries until it went missing under mysterious circumstances in 1983. And, you know, being a student of history, I was like, tell me more. <laughs> and, you know, they, they did tell me more. And I went home and researched it. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And I don't know, I moved to New York after a while. And I life got in the way. I was busy trying to become a freelance writer. And maybe a couple of years later, I don't know what happened. It popped into my head again. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that weird relic. So I started doing a little bit more research and just realized this would be a really interesting book to go try to find out what happened to this relic? Was it stolen? The, a lot of locals, especially old locals, think that the Vatican had something to do with its disappearance. Other people thought that Satanists and neo-Nazis took it. It was just, it was so wild. And it's like one of those things like you can't make this up sort of scenarios. And I thought I should move to the village and write a book about this relic and try to find out what happened to it. And also get into the Vatican library and write a whole history of it, put it into a context of, historical context so people understand that this relic wasn't really something to be snickered at. It was something that was very important. If you're a believer, Jesus sent it into heaven, and it, the, the, holy, the foreskin would have been the only piece of flesh he could have conceivably left on earth. And so if you're a believer, that's like major. This is the flesh of God. So, you know, it was a big deal. For people listening that have never heard of Christ's foreskin, if you can just give us a brief overview of the story, how did it go from him being circumcised eight days after his birth to winding up in this random Italian village? Yeah, two words, magical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, his circumcision is mentioned in the book of Luke um, 2.22, I think. Uh -huh. And uh, and then, and then you, in the infancy gospels, which are apocryphal gospels, which means apocryphal meant left out. So these books that were taken out of the official Bible eventually. Um, it goes into more detail about that, about Christ's circumcision. It ended up with an old lady who told her son, a pharmacist, put this in a, in this jar of nard, a preservative oil, and do not sell it even if they offer you a thousand denarii. 
And so that's the last you kind of hear of it. And the next time you hear of it again, the earliest historical documents I could find was from like around the 10, like around the year 1070. It tells this story, which is told again and again and again and again, which is that Charlemagne was in Jerusalem praying in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre when to his left, uh, a young child came to him, which is supposedly the Christ child. And he said, my great king and servant of me, please take this box, which contains in it the evidence of my my flesh and my blood. And what was in the box is sort of a goodie bag of relics. It was a piece of his, it was his foreskin and a piece of the true cross, which is like the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first evidence of his first bloodshed and the true cross, which is a symbol of his final bloodshed. Then the story goes that in the year 800, Charlemagne was in Rome uh, on Christmas Day, and he was being crowned Holy Roman Emperor by the Pope, Pope Leo III. And as a gift for being crowned Holy Roman Emperor, Charlemagne gives Pope Leo III a gift, the Holy Foreskin. And Pope Leo III puts the Holy Foreskin in the Sancta Sanctorum which in Rome, the Holy of Holies, which which is this room which still exists in next to the church San, uh, San Giovanni in Laterano, St. John Lateran. And in the Holy of Holies, the Holy Foreskin remained for centuries, as the story goes, until 1527. And in 1527, Emperor Charles V from Spain, he has, he's having a, a, a contentious battle with the Pope. He decides to gather an army together of Spaniards and German mercenaries called Lands Connect. And they sack Rome. They break down the walls of Rome. And what he told all these soldiers was, I'm not paying you much money, but Rome is like the richest city in the world. And once we get in there, you can just take whatever booty you want. And one of those German soldiers raided the Sanctus Sanctorum and grabbed this bejeweled box and start, started taking off north. He thought, this is my retirement, you know. He got as far as 40 miles north of Rome on his way back to Germany, and he got caught by some locals in Calcutta, the village where I lived, and, and they threw him in a cell. They didn't know exactly what he did, but he was a foreigner, and what you do with foreigners then is you take them and you throw them in a cell. And uh, he stayed there for a while and eventually got out, and he died. And the foreskin was missing, and there was a search party for it, but they didn't know what happened to it. Fast forward 30 years later, 1557, when the, the priest in Calcutta was kind of rooting around in that cell. No one was in there. And he caught a glimpse, a glimmer of something from his torch in the back of the cell. And underneath us, uh, some hay and a pile of manure was this bejeweled box. And um, he took it to the ruling aristocratic family and they opened it and they found a sack, three set little sacks. One contained the jawbone of St. Martha, the sister of Mary Magdalene. One contained the big toe of St. Valentine. And the other one, they couldn't open it up. Everyone's hands froze. And so they decided they needed someone of complete purity, i.e. a virgin. Mm -hmm. And they brought in this young girl named Clarice, and, who was a virgin because she was like nine years old. <laughs> Hopefully. She opened up the sack with ease, and they, and they realized on the ribbon on the sack, it said NSG, Nostro Signore Jesu, Our Lord Jesus. And they realized that the Holy Foreskin had been found. And that set off a series of miracles. The village had become engulfed in a perfumed mist and so on. And uh, the Pope was alerted. The Holy Forest had been found. And he eventually ruled that 
that it was fate that it ended up in this village of Calcutta and it should remain there. And he went on to offer uh, indulgence of 10 years for anybody that made the pilgrimage to the city to see the Holy Foreskin. Exactly. That means if you, when you died, if you ended up in purgatory, you know, it gave you 10 years off of your sentence in purgatory so that you could ascend into heaven too. Okay. Several popes after that in, in the succeeding centuries, decades and centuries, also offered several more plenary indulgences to those who came to Calcutta to venerate in front of the Holy Foreskin. So it was an incredibly important relic for centuries in the church. Yeah, right up there with the Holy Blood, which is in Bruges, and various pieces of the True Cross and um, the Shroud, which is in Turin. Yeah, definitely. And there was a number of different churches all over Europe claiming to have one of them, but the Vatican claimed this is the one and only that was in Calcutta? This was the only papal-approved foreskin. It's so weird to say that, but um, but yeah, but then throughout the Middle Ages, there were lots of monasteries and churches, mostly in France for some reason, that claimed that they had Jesus' foreskin as well. The foreskin was also heavily debated in the church as to whether it was left back on earth, right? That's right. Starting in the early Middle Ages, throughout going through the late Middle Ages and the Renaissance and Reformation, there was that kind of a, a theological debate going on over the decades and centuries about if Christ's foreskin was important enough to one's body that it would have rejoined him when he got to heaven. Some theologians were citing like hair, fingernail clippings, even like feces were not important enough body parts that they would have rejoined Christ when he ascended into heaven. But was his foreskin important enough? And that was the kind of, some some theologians said, yes, it was. So there, therefore, this relic that we have on earth is not the real flesh of Christ. And some theologians like the important St. Bonaventure in the 13th century left the door open for it possibly being here and that this piece of flesh that we have that we're venerating is actually the flesh of their God. And I also read that some scholars thought that he regrew a new one, that his body was renewed after his resurrection. Yeah, that's that's a possibility too. And then my favorite one, and a lot of people cite this because they find it humorous, is that a theologian in the 17th century named Leo Aladius who wrote the first treatise on vampires, also wrote a scholarly paper saying that the recently discovered rings of Saturn were actually the foreskin <laughs> of Jesus. It's, it's quite a stretch of the imagination, I would say. It is pun intended, I hope, by the word stretch. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> How long did you live in Calcutta researching the foreskin? Um, I lived there off and on for two years. I guess if I scrunched all my time together, it would have been a little bit over a year. You know, I'd go there for like three or four months and then come back to New York for a couple of months and then go back for three or four months and so on. So um, I loved it there. It was great. I mean, living in this like medieval hill town and there's no cars and, and everyone knows each other. And, you know, you can't walk across the piazza with someone being like, oh, Davide, come here, you know, and it was amazing. It was really incredible living there. Oh, it looks beautiful. And I wish I had known about the city when I went through Italy a number of years back. I would have definitely gone to see it. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Well, next time go there, you know, and tell them that you met me and they'll throw stones at you. <laughs> they'll, they'll remember you. <laughs> it, it was celebrated there and the priests would bring it out every year on New Year's Day, which was the Feast of the Circumcision Day, and they would parade it around the streets. Yeah. After the year 1900, 
Um, the only time that that they could bring out the relic was January 1st, because before the Vatican II reforms in the 60s, January 1st on the church calendar was the feast day of the Holy Circumcision. So there was a big procession and the priest would bring it out and people would swoon in front of it and people would try to kiss the reliquary and stuff like that. And the local priest really kind of took advantage of it. Like he would sell these placards of the picture of the relic or or some other kind of historical picture that had a historical allusion to the relic. And he said he would he had rubbed up the image up against the reliquary of the foreskin and sell it for ten dollars, ten euro, the equivalent of ten dollars to women, because he said that, you know, the Holy Foreskin had the a lot of the miracles that were attributed to the foreskin were fertility miracles. And so he would sell this this image that he rubbed up against the relic um, to various women in around the region, saying that if they had fertility problems, if they prayed to this image, it would help them. So the priest was kind of capitalizing on this as well. Oh, uh, okay. And there was one other foreskin. You had mentioned the documentary that you had done earlier. There was another foreskin that you went and saw that was in France, because supposedly Charlemagne gave a fake foreskin to Leo III, and the other yeah. real foreskin he deposited in an abbey in France. Yeah, that's that's in the village of Conk, C-O-N-Q-U-E-S. I was just, I was sort of the face of the documentary, but it was the, the way the, the, the various twists and turns in the documentary were all the decision of the producers and the director. I had nothing to do with it. And so we did go to Conk and then the surprise that they didn't tell me was that we went into the room where they keep all these reliquaries. And then they informed me on camera that the, their holy foreskin is still in the reliquary. Uh-huh. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. The difference is that the producers came, they, they didn't, what, I had various sources for my book, which came out a few years before the documentary. And they, for various reasons, complicated reasons, they didn't have access to the same sources. And so they had to come to their own conclusion about what happened to the relic. And they didn't tell me what was going to happen or what, how they were going to conclude the what happened to it. And so it was only when I saw the final version and the end, they show that they, they, they say the story that Charlemagne gave a fake foreskin to the Pope and they actually took the real one to conk. Um, I think that's made up. Oh, so you didn't find that story in any of your previous sources? That was a complete shock to me. And I understand for the sake of entertaining storytelling, they had to come to some conclusion. But there's no, there's no evidence that that actually happened. Okay. But the, that abbey in, I, th- I thought it was Chirot, but it's pronounced conk. No, no, there is one in Chirot, too. There is, um, in the documentary, we were in Conk. Oh, okay. And that's the one that they said that Charlemagne gave, took the real relic to. But there's, but Chirot is a, which is in southwestern France, is also like on the Holy Foreskin map in a big way, too, because they had a medieval foreskin. And, and uh, if you do some research on the foreskin, medieval the village foreskin. of Chirot comes up a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so you went and saw the one in Conk, but they definitely claim that that is the actual foreskin. Well, they yeah, they did for the, so they could wrap up the story that they were telling. But, uh, okay. and there is a, there is a, there is a, a historical holy foreskin in Conk as well. You know, they're, they're, the filmmakers claim that Charlemagne gave a fake relic to the Pope and then took it, the real one to Conk is not true. Uh, okay. Uh, do you believe any of these foreskins are actually the foreskin of Jesus? No, not at all. I think that <laughs> there was some enterprising 
relic dealers, some shady enterprising relic dealers who are going through the Bible, thinking what can we, what kind of relics can we concoct and sell to, to naive monks and priests and stuff. And they got to the book of Luke, the, you know, got to two. 22 and there's one passage about jesus's uh circumcision and they had this light bulb moment like oh whoa this would be a big one this is a big deal like we could pass off the only flesh of christ he could have left on earth and sell it for a lot of money so i think i think that's what really happened it'll be the metaphorical beetles it'll be bigger than jesus yes exactly <laughs> yeah it's true and and uh as a student of history, what really interested me was not if it was real or not. It was that for centuries, people treated it like it was really the flesh of God. And they venerated in front of it. And like I said, you know, popes granted plenary indulgences for it. You know, people, not just ordinary people, but, but important people in history believed that this was the flesh of Christ. And, and to me, that's what was really fascinating about doing the research for this book. Well, I want to thank you. You've been great. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this interview with me. Thanks. It was really fun talking to you. Well, take care, Chris. You too. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Me too. Bye. Bye-bye. I want to again thank David Farley for talking with us. If you want to hear the entirety of our conversation about the Holy Foreskin, including more information about the disappearance of the foreskin in 1983, and the proposed alternate ending of the National Geographic documentary about it, head on over to patreon.com backslash dirtytalkpodcast and get instant access to that and a ton of other great exclusive content with your Patreon support. You can buy David Farley's books, Underground Worlds, and An Irreverent Curiosity from all booksellers, or you can use the link in the show notes on our website, dirtytalkpodcast.com, to purchase them from an independent bookshop. You can also find links to David Farley on Instagram, Twitter, his personal website, dfarley.com, and his travel blog, tripout.online, in the show notes as well. Thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you next time.